the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Podcast. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. The very best way to promote your podcasts. Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com. The future of podcast promotion. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is American author Daniel Levine. Hi Daniel, welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Whereabouts do you live? I am in San Diego, California. When I ask you how are you really, like there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a pandemic going on. There is, you know, a black a, a civil rights movement in America that's going and spreading across the world. There's a Me Too movement. How are you really doing with all that's going on? I'm okay. I mean, the art of managing your emotions is to observe and not to absorb. That is how I approach things. Because if like you're going to get emotionally bound up with whatever's going on in the world, you know, you can seriously damage your mental health. I mean, I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday and he was saying he's actually been off of social media for like a period of a couple of months because he's found it too depressing. So what's it like where you live then? Um, we live in, in sort of a paradise type world in the sense that in San Diego, we live a few blocks from the ocean. The temperature, when I moved here 18 years ago, 20 years ago, the weather forecaster would say, it's going to be 70 degrees. I'll see you again in six months. And in six months, they said, it's going to be 70 degrees. We'll see you again in six months. <laughs> and, and it was always 70 degrees all day, all night. It was just the perfect climate. Now the weather has changed a little bit, but we're so spoiled that if it gets to 68 degrees, we think, oh my God, we got to get out of our you know, heavy coats. And if it gets to 82, if it gets to 75, we're like global warming's going on. We can't take it. So we're sort of we're sort of wussies a little bit with the weather because of how beautiful it is. And it's mostly sunny and people move here because of the weather. So, Daniel, where did you grow up and what was it like? I haven't really grown up yet, to be truthful, Nigel, but, <laughs> but I think I know what you're asking. I was born in Philadelphia and I'm 65 years old. So when I was born, the world was a different world. And I grew up in a family that was an absolutely beautiful family. Uh, my dad worked really hard, couldn't, didn't make much money, but uh, we were a lower middle class family. My mom also worked, but she was home every day by the time we got home so that there was milk and cookies on the table for us. And we would, all, we would sit down at the table to eat dinner together and we would just laugh and enjoy each other. The only thing was my, it didn't last long. My dad passed away when I was 13. And my mom passed away two years later on the same day when I was 15. 
And so the beautiful world that I grew up in was suddenly taken from me. Those two events really shaped the course of the rest of my life because as I write in my book, The Mosaic, I asked the adults where my parents went and they told me they went to a place called heaven. So I set out as a, as a young boy in search of the place called heaven. And I was given amazing opportunities. I was given the opportunity to run a billion dollar corporation. And I walked away from it because it wasn't the heaven I was looking for. I was given the opportunity to be the, the protege of the man who started organizational psychology. He wanted to, she wanted to train me, work with me, teach me and have me take it over for him. But it wasn't my heaven. I had the opportunity to to go to seminary and I studied five years and left one day before I was ordained because that wasn't my heaven. I had the opportunity to live 10 years as a monk in a monastery and I left when my when I met a woman and we got married because the monastery wasn't my heaven. So all my life I've been in search of this beautiful place that the adults told me was where my parents were, which is heaven. Well, there's a bit to unpack there because... You say you were training to be ordained as a rabbi in Israel. Yes. Uh, so what changed your mind? The steps of my life were that when I, my parents passed away, I moved in with an aunt and uncle. My uncle was a household name internationally. My, we grew up in a lower middle class family. And so he wanted me to take over his business. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't mine to do. So I left and I didn't do that. So I went to school to study psychology, but in psychology, I saw that my answers weren't going to, the answers I was looking for weren't going to come there. So I set out to hitchhike around the world and I went en route to India. I ended up in Israel and someone, and a rabbi asked me, were you born Jewish to sit in a yoga ashram? That doesn't make sense to me. And he said, why were you born Jewish? And I said, I can't answer your question. He said, stay here with me then until you can. And so I stayed five years. And the day before I was going to be ordained, I said to him, I finally have an answer to your question. I was born Jewish to try and broaden the scope of what Judaism is. And I don't think that can happen through the ordination that I would receive from you. And, and in all, all integrity to you, I wouldn't want to be ordained in your name and not practice the teachings that you've taught me to believe. So I would, I'm going to step down from that because I don't think I would represent you the way you would want me to represent. You would want to be represented if I accept the ordination from you. And I walked away. So you spent quite a few years studying various religious practices. So what do you consider the major differences between spirituality and religion? Feeling versus dogma, personal experience versus church experience, control in religion. To me, most religions have an invested interest in building their community. Spirituality has an invested interest in building the self. To me, spirituality, the process of, of being a spiritual human being is to get to know yourself. The process of a religion is to get to know a religion. I had a teacher who said it's a blessing to be born into a religion and a curse to die in one. Because if you can't transcend the beliefs of the religion by the time you go through it, it's just another crutch that you're standing on. Religions become silos in which we operate in, but they're not, we weren't created in silos. We were created in open fields. And we were meant to co-mingle with one another, to exchange ideas, to, to see that everybody has a beautiful place on this earth. And I remember saying to my Rebbe at one point, how is it, only, how is it possible that we're the only ones that are right in this globe of, I think there were 6 billion people on the planet at that point in time. And he said, Danny, 
in a world of duality, if what we're doing is right, anybody who's not doing exactly what we're doing is wrong. But when you get to the other world, where the world of God, which is not a world of duality, then none of it really matters. So in the end, you have to live your life here as if it matters, but in the end, it doesn't matter. Well, you describe yourself as a 5D personality. What exactly does that mean? You know, it's really funny because I don't really describe myself. It's on my website and someone put it on there. The woman who helped me make my website put it on there. And I said, what the hell does that mean? And, and then what I realized is the reason why she put it on is 3D is that when we look at the world and we think we see what's real, but there's so much that we see. There's so much we don't see in the world that we see. We have a, we have a one degree perspective of the world that we look at in a 360 degree circle of perspectives. And we're arrogant and believe that our perspective, our one degree uh, identifies the world. I think for me, what a 5D personality means for me is the ability to see things that other people don't see. The ability to look at life from a different perspective. For me, that was the heaven that I found. The heaven that I found was not in monasteries or, or religions or, or spiritual groups. It was the, in the ability to look at something I had always seen one way and suddenly see it completely differently. And that was the heaven that I found in my own life. And I think that's a 5D, that's a 5D view of the world. Well, you are also an author. So what or who inspired you to write your book? I was getting old, as you can see. And I thought it would be good to leave something for anybody who would care. Because I know a lot of people over the course of my life, I've met a ton of different people. And I thought it would be nice to leave some sort of legacy for those people. And I wrote a completely different book than the one that I, than the one that I actually published. And I sent it to a friend of mine and she said to me, Danny, um, this isn't your book. And I said, what do you mean? Do you think I play, is it plagiarized? Does someone else write it? She said, no, no, no. The ideas are fabulous. Their ideas are fresh. The ideas are original. But Danny, you're a storyteller. Why would you write a self-help book? You don't even believe in self-help. I had written a book called V2, The Nine Steps to Make Your New, to Create Your New Life. V2 was the second version because I'd heard so many people say, if only I knew then what I know now. Well, we know now what we know now. What are we doing with it, right? So I was thinking, what are you doing with the second version of your life? But it turned out that she said to me, I think you should write a story. You're a storyteller. And so the story I wrote was ba loosely based on the story of my own life. It's a story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where heaven is, where his parents are, they tell him they're in heaven. And he sets out in search of the place called heaven. But the people he finds along his way are not the rabbis and the priests and the shamans and the ministers and the aborigines elders. They're the trash man and the homeless guy. They're the street artist and the blind woman. They're the juice man and the gardener. They're common, ordinary people. And when he asks himself, I wonder why I'm meeting these people. Why am I meeting these people? What he realizes is, I have nowhere else to go. I might as well just sit with them and listen to them. And Nigel, in every single case, when he sat and listened to their story, the person he saw was completely different than the person he initially saw. And he looked at himself and he wondered, do I have, do I see anything in this world the way it is? Or do I see everything the way I am? What would happen if I removed myself from the picture and just saw the world the way it was? Could I do that? And in that moment, he looked to his right and he saw a monk unzipping the sky and inviting him to walk into a parallel reality where he met the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic. And that's where the book starts to take hold from. 
So what's your book called and when was it published? It's right in back of me. It's called The Mosaic. It is, uh, it was published about two years ago. And I thought, you know, I know tons of people. I was in publishing for a long time. I was at Hay. I was at a company called Hay House. I was the director of business development there. I helped Hay House grow from $3 million to $100 million over a 10-year period of time. I mean, my department led that growth, even though everybody in the company, I couldn't have done it without everybody else in the company, but my department led that growth. And I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to publish a book. I'm going to send it out to people I know. They're going to like it. They're going to share it with 10 of their friends. They're going to share it with 10 of their friends. They're going to share it. And it wasn't that way at all. It was a big wake-up call for me of how uh, how removed. I had spent my whole life building up other people's lives, and I hadn't really spent my time building up my own network. So I'm now just watching patiently the process of how one person loves it and shares it with another person. But it's it's not this, you know, ten to a hundred to a thousand to a million to you know that I thought it was. I thought it was going to be easier. It's not as easy as I thought. There's so much information out there now. Well, that's very true. And I mean, when I published my first book, my experience was very similar. But then I discovered that it's actually the marketing is yeah. just as important as publishing the book. Publishing the book really is just the first step. Yes, 100,000 billion percent. And, you know, one of the things, I don't know how it was for you, but it's so much easier for me to market you than it is for me to market me. And that's, to me, is what the mosaic is really about in a lot of different ways. It's when we come together to help each other, when you are kind enough to invite me onto your podcast and broadcast my story to the people that you know, that helps that to grow out. And anybody, if someone's interested, they get it. If they're not interested, they just have a nice story, you know, but that's what we do for each other. And the connection that we share with each other is what makes all of that happen. We, we think writing a book is going to suddenly make us the New York Times bestseller. Um, <laughs> it, writing a book is hard. Selling a book is a thousand times harder. And I used to say it when I was at Hay House, we can get your book into any bookstore in the, around the world. For you to get your book out of those, out of that bookstore is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Because if you don't get it out, they're going to send them all back to us. And that's easy. They'll send them all back to us and you won't have sold the one. So Daniel, what other interests do you have? You know, there's so many things. I love to look at, I love to just be around the ocean. I love to listen to the birds. I love to watch sports. I'm a, I'm a, my dad was an amateur boxer. So when, when we grew up as kids, when my brother was four years older than me, and so when we had a disagreement, he would take us downstairs to the carpet and he would say, just box it out. And so that sounds like a great thing. And he trained us in boxing. But when your brother's eight and you're four, you don't have much chance of staying on the carpet. So what I developed was a strategy for my own life, which I still use today, which is this kamikaze approach to life where I would just come running in and, and swing. And then I would run off the carpet and just hide. And my brother would say, well, you can't go off the carpet. I said, says who? You're going gonna, gonna, gonna to annihilate me if I, if I stay here. I'm gonna, I have no chance of doing anything. You're going to kill me. So... Um, you know, we have to develop our own strategies. So one of the things I love is, is developing strategies for, with people of how to find the life that works for them. And I love to work with businesses and individuals. And really, my greatest love right now, even though you wouldn't get it from how much I'm talking here, is listening to the stories of other people. And one of the things that I'm doing now in my life is I've created something called 50 Conversations with 50 Strangers. And I'm inviting strangers to have conversations with me in the Zoom room. And what happens, Nigel, it's amazing. 
is when people feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard, acknowledged and validated, they actually feel seen for the first time sometimes. And sometimes they haven't even seen themselves in that way. Everything that they're not falls off and everything that they are emerges. And it's such a beautiful thing to watch within an hour-long conversation in a Zoom room. So what are your plans for the future? In, in a post-pandemic world, I want to do what I was planning to do before the pandemic struck, which was I heard when I finished writing my book, I heard it's time for you to do exactly what Mo did, go out onto the streets, sit with people that nobody listens to, and listen to their stories. And I would like to create a documentary or a docuseries, either called The Mosaic Voices or, or The Voice of the Voiceless, and listen to the voices that nobody listens to, and create a series around what people would say if the world would actually listen to them. You know, years ago, we had, it was hard to be heard because there weren't the venues to be heard. Now it's hard to be heard because there's so many people speaking. There's so much noise out there. So individually, it's almost impossible to be heard. Some people break through and they, and they have success and they have large followings. But the common person sometimes feels like, why should I even speak up? My voice doesn't matter. But every voice matters. And we see that in, in America. We see that through the incident that just happened with George Floyd. He, didn't, he wasn't even trying to be a voice in the world. He was just trying to live his life. But a policeman put his knee on his throat and ended his life. And George Floyd's voice is now heard all around the world. So one voice can change the way the world, the whole world acts. And we have to give people the opportunity in not in violence, but in peace to be able to say what they think. And that would be my dream to create this this to go around the world, to go to boardrooms and prisons and hospitals and to listen to the people that nobody listens to and hear what they have to say. So Daniel, how can people contact you? The best place to do it is just to come to either of my websites, danielbrucelevin.com or themosaiconline.com. If you go to themosaiconline.com, you can get a free uh, perspective reading. You, you just, uh, Put in your email. We, we send out a, a newsletter once in a while. It's not anything. You're not going to get spam. But you can ask a question and you can have three of the Mosaic characters come and give you their perspective on what your question is. It's amazing how it works. Uh, so you would go to the mosaiconline.com and you would look under Mosaic and it would say card reading and you just choose card reading, ask a question. I'm still shocked. When I was at Hay House, I created these card decks for Hay House. They were the most successful thing we ever did. And some of them were like oracle cards where people would just ask questions. And so I thought, I want to create one for myself, but I don't want to charge people for them. I just want to have them free on my website. And so people can go there and just see if they need help in a, in a, in a moment. Just ask a question and, and see what the cards say to you. It's fascinating. Certainly sounds very intriguing. Daniel in California, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. It's my honor. Thank you for having me, Nigel. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Another In Conversation podcast coming soon.